Hi everyone, my name is Ben Plast. I'm a product manager here at MongoDB responsible for Atlas Data Lake and online archive. Welcome to the MongoDB podcast and don't forget to smash that like and subscribe button to make sure that you save a ton of money with MongoDB Atlas. Data Lake is a query engine that allows you to federate across these different sources. And the kind of intro to online archive, we saw people using Data Lake to federate queries between their clusters and their S3 buckets. And the intention there was to get fast, performant, changing data available through their cluster in the same context that they were getting higher latency data coming from an S3 bucket that was more economical. And so what it let customers do is tier their data between their cluster and their bucket, and in that way get a better total cost of ownership for their operational workload. Welcome to the MongoDB Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn. I'll be your host today along with Nick Raboy. We're chatting with Benjamin Flast. Benjamin is a senior product manager working on MongoDB's online archive. This is an automated solution with data tiering in MongoDB Atlas, and it's designed to reduce storage costs while preserving easy access to historical data. Benjamin tells us all about the offering. Before we get to the content of the show, I want to tell you about mongodb.local. This is a great conference coming to London on November 9th. This is a uniquely hybrid experience offering education, exploration, and entertainment. And it's curated for those joining live in person at Evolution London on November 9th. You can join in live from home, or you can tune in on demand on your own schedule. To get more information, visit mongodb.link slash London local. I hope to see you there. Hey, Ben, how's it going? We're really interested in learning about what you're doing with Atlas All on Archive. But before we get into that, why don't you give us kind of an introduction on who you are? Great. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah, my name is Ben. Uh, I've been at MongoDB for almost two years now. Uh, started my career in consulting and then quickly realized that wasn't for me and moved into uh, technology. Um, I've spent the last seven or eight years now being a product manager across a lot of different domains, you know, finance uh, and just kind of pure technology. And, uh, you know, as I said, joined MongoDB about two years ago and it's, it's, it's been excellent ever since. Has the current project, uh, the online archive project, been your only project at MongoDB since your two-year stint, or have you worked on others? No. Um, my my primary responsibility is for Atlas Data Lake, um, and online archive was actually an, an outgrowth of Atlas Data Lake. It was, it was really kind of this very organic process that we kind of discovered a kind of persuasive use case for Data Lake being online archive as we saw customers start to use Data Lake to fulfill the same kind of use cases that online archive would then solve. And that basically gave us ideas about what they were struggling with and what we could make smoother with a kind of dedicated feature. And that's where online archive came from. So it's really an outgrowth of Data Lake um, and just kind of came about pretty organically. Great. So I'm I'm curious, and maybe there are listeners that are that are tuning in that that are not familiar with the data lake use cases. Can you talk a little bit about what that is before we get too deep into uh, online archive? Yeah, absolutely. So Atlas Data Lake is what we call a federated query engine, and that means it's a 
piece of infrastructure that is shared across you know multiple tenants and has these compute nodes and it queries data that's stored in uh, a multitude of different storage layers and that can include AWS S3 buckets it can include Atlas clusters and it can even include HTTP URLs which point towards specific files so hold up you mentioned shared what do you mean by shared yeah, so Atlas Data Lake is a serverless offering, which means we have kind of a fleet of servers in the backend, which process queries from all customers using the service. We make sure to keep you know different customers' workloads distinct from one another and make sure that you have a consistent experience, but it means that you're not getting a dedicated server for you specifically, like you would if you were using a MongoDB Atlas cluster. Okay, so maybe I've got an application. I'm, I'm generating quite a bit of data. Why would I be interested in leveraging Data Lake first? Yeah, absolutely. So just continuing off the last point, one of the benefits of it being serverless is that you're only ever paying for what you use, right? Um, with an Atlas cluster, you have to really understand your workload and be aware of the type of volume you're going to be putting through it so that you can choose the right tier and make sure that you have enough to fill your customer requests, but not so much that you have all this extra infrastructure sitting around that you're not using. The benefit of a model like Data Lake is that you just pay for what you use. And that makes it really flexible, makes it easy to pick up. And if it's you know, not the right fit, easy to put down. And all of these things are really key benefits of a serverless model and specifically with Data Lake. Data Lake is a query engine that allows you to federate across these different sources. And the kind of intro to uh, online archive that I was talking about was we saw people using Data Lake to federate queries between their clusters and their S3 buckets. And the intention there was to get fast, performant, changing data available through their cluster in the same context that they were getting higher latency data coming from an S3 bucket that was more economical. And so what it let customers do is tier their data between their cluster and their bucket, and, and that way get a better total cost of ownership for their operational workload. Awesome. So if I get this right, it's federated access across multiple data sources, all with a consistent user interface, the, the MongoDB query language. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. So why wouldn't someone want to use this for all of their data or, or are some people? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, as is common with, you know, different pieces of technology, they all kind of fit in a certain place. And so with Data Lake, you know, it's a read-only query string, right? So if you're updating documents, deleting documents, you couldn't use Data Lake for that. And that's because, again, it's a distributed query engine where the compute is separate from the storage. We don't have kind of the level of fidelity or control that we do in a system like a cluster. Uh, but it's also, you know, shared tenancy, which means you can't get necessarily the same performance that you get in a dedicated cluster where you're controlling every layer of the stack, or at least can provision it for yourself specifically. So it's really meant for kind of large analytical workloads or for kind of just data tiering workloads and historical viewing of data that is queried less frequently uh, than you would in a cluster. I realize that, th that this question might vary from person to person, but what 
what kind of performance differences are we talking about here when we when we compare the two? Yeah, it's a tough question. Um, in reality, it's it's almost impossible to give just a, a blanket answer because while a MongoDB cluster has a bit more options around how to tune performance, right? You can add an index to something. You can you can change how it's it's structured inside of your documents. With Data Lake, there's more coarse grain changes you can make. And so one of the, the core things about Data Lake is it matters how you've partitioned the data. Because the way to make a query faster in Atlas Data Lake is for us to scan less data. That's straightforward, the best way that it can get faster. And the way that you do that is you tell us something about the data that's going into different files that lets us only select the files where the relevant data is. And so that's how you get MongoDB queries on Atlas Data Lake to be fast. But to answer kind of the core question about where these things kind of diverge, in reality, with a MongoDB cluster, you can have, you know, millisecond response times for both, you know, updates, creates, deletes, reads. With Data Lake, just the nature of the platform means you're going to be up into the seconds and possibly far, far over that, depending on what you're doing with your queries. And the trade-off there is is really having that federated access to multiple, even formats of data, you know, uh, object store in, in S3 and maybe even some interesting file types like CSV, TSV. Is that, is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because there are some really kind of important decisions to be made when, when using Atlas Data Lake around file type because the different file types can give you different levels of performance. And so one that we're particularly excited about is Parquet, which has a lot of summary statistics built into the file. And with those, we can actually greatly improve the performance of the speed uh, for queries on that data. And so we also give you the tools to actually uh, use the dollar out aggregation stage, just like we have in MongoDB, but dollar out into S3 in the Parquet format, which, you know, is a great way to easily get data from your cluster into Parquet, which will then give you super fast query speeds on that data once it's in S3. You know, so we've addressed the difference between, you know, MongoDB, MongoDB cluster applications, you know, developers are familiar with that, that the interface there. Now we talked about data lake. Let's talk about online archive and how that differs from uh, the, the larger data lake product set. Yeah, absolutely. So. As I mentioned, Data Lake is this federated query engine. It's this piece of infrastructure. You can choose to connect it to your S3 bucket. You can choose to connect it to uh, an Atlas cluster. You can connect it to these files hosted at HTTP URLs. Whereas online archive is actually a feature that's built in to an Atlas cluster that actually relies on some of the infrastructure of Data Lake. But the key difference there is that online archive is going to do a couple things, whereas Data Lake is specifically this query engine that you can string together with your own code and logic. And Online Archive is a highly opinionated approach to data tiering. And so what that means is when you turn on Online Archive, you tell us what collection you want to start archiving from. You tell us what, what characteristic qualifies a document to be archived, whether it's you know 30 days old or it has a field inside the document that says archive true. And then Online Archive is just going to run in the background on your cluster periodically, taking data from your cluster, moving it into MongoDB managed cloud object storage, and then give you a federated view across those. And so what I mentioned earlier about how some of the use cases with Data Lake were the inspiration for Online Archive, you can think about it as Online Archive 
basically gave our customers the ability to have a fully managed solution to the data tiering solutions they were building themselves already using Atlas Data Lake. Are we moving the data over or are we copying it over? Um, you want to clear yeah, that Yeah, absolutely. So what we do underneath the hood is we pull the data out of the cluster, we write it into a file, and then we move that file into our cloud object storage and delete the data from the cluster. So we are copying and deleting with the kind of uh, eventual effect of having moved it over. Okay, that makes sense. Now, what is the primary motivation for, for leveraging a data tiering approach? Yeah, so there are a lot of use cases where data tiering is the, the right solution. Um, and a lot of cases where it's uh, a totally necessary solution. So in the, in the old days with uh, self-managed MongoDB, you might take a approach of doing zone sharding where you have kind of different levels of data on different servers that the different servers had different kind of levels of infrastructure supporting them. What we wanted to do was bring that model into the cloud ecosystem that would, in a way that would take advantage of some of the kind of new pieces of technology that are available in the cloud. And it's useful for situations where some of your data is really important, really valuable, and you need really low latency. And some of your data is less important and can have higher latency. And a good example of that is what you might kind of broadly speak of as temporal data or time series. So Generally speaking, with time series use cases, new data is, is hot, it's queried frequently, it's, it has a lot of value for the customer, and you would expect it any queries that run on top of it to be performant. Whereas older data, you might call cold, and you query less frequently, and it's just not used as much, and it's okay if it takes a little bit longer to respond. And so just to kind of put this into a, an example, let's say you have, um, you know, uh, data from your HVAC system that kind of tells you what temperature it was. You may look at, you know, what the outside temperature was and the inside temperature for like the last day, for the last 15 days or the last 30 days and, and expect that to come back quickly and commonly view those charts. But you probably don't care as much about the data that, you know, your house was, I don't know, 70 degrees two years ago. But maybe you're kind of curious over the past two years, what was the average temperature? These are the kind of situations where the older data is less valuable. It's okay to move it out to another storage tier that is going to be maybe a little higher latency, but have it be much cheaper. And that way you get access to all your data. You maintain the ability to query it, but some of it is much cheaper than the stuff that you keep in your cluster. So it's all about expense control. Yeah, absolutely. And efficiencies. Efficiencies, right. So speaking of charts, you did mention charts. I'm curious, uh, with the launch of Data Lake and, and the availability of online archive, um, do those now appear as data sources for MongoDB charts? Yeah, great question. One of the things I'm super excited about is we just recently released support for charts on Atlas Data Lake. So you can now create charts on Atlas Data Lake or create charts on your Atlas cluster. The one thing that we're still working on, but we should have available within you know, the coming quarters is charts on your online archive data. So today you can create charts on Data Lake, you know, pulling data from your own S3 bucket or from Atlas clusters, and you can create charts on your cluster data. 
but online archive is not quite ready for charts. So I'm curious how the developer, uh, someone who's using MongoDB Atlas, begins to to leverage Data Lake and an online archive. What's the what's the interface like? And maybe briefly talk about what the steps are to configure uh, an online archive. Sure. So online archive is you know really simple to get started with. You go into your cluster card. You navigate over to the online archive tab, and we have a WYSIWYG experience that just guides you through um, all the things that you need to configure to then just activate online archive. So the first thing you'll do is tell us what collection you want to archive for, what you want to determine whether or not something should be archived, and then some of your commonly queried fields that help us decide how to set up the data so that your queries are faster on the archive data. And then you click go. And, and right before that, actually, we do give you a couple tools to tell you what, what data will immediately qualify for archive um, and some suggestions around indexes you might want to put in your cluster to make sure that archiving is happening fast. But that's it for online archive. Once you've done that, you have it available. You get a new connection string that you can use in addition to your existing connection string so that you can connect to the archive or to a federated view of the archive and your cluster. On the data lake side, it's also a really smooth onboarding experience. We actually just released a new experience for this that I'm super excited about, which includes a sample data flow. So in data lake, you just go into the data lake tab, you click create a data lake, and you get two, bu two buttons. You can either connect to an S3 bucket, an Atlas cluster, or an HTTP file. And we guide you through all the steps you'll need to take, whether it's setting up the partitions for an S3 bucket or choosing the collection or database from your cluster. Or instead of choosing connect your own data source, you can just click use sample data and we will immediately populate several different data sources in a sample S3 bucket that you can then just drag across into your Atlas data lake databases and collections and immediately click save and query them. You can honestly get started with Atlas Data Lake in seven seconds. Is this available to all cluster tiers or are there limitations on who has access to this? For yeah, absolutely. So they, they differ slightly. So with Atlas Data Lake, we actually recently added support for all tiers. So you can connect your data lake to any tier cluster and federate queries across multiple tiers, including the free tier. Online Archive, on the other hand, only works on N10 and plus. And the reason for that is that Online Archive can be a somewhat intensive operation happening on your cluster. And we would probably have a bit of trouble kind of balancing that demand, moving that into the shared tier, just because of the, the relative resources available on the shared tier. Are there scenarios where somebody might want to store part of the data on app? Atlas Online Archive, um, and also in MongoDB Atlas, but access it in the same query. Is that yeah, possible? Absolutely. So the way that works is when you create your online archive, we give you actually two extra connection strings. So instead of just having the one connection string to your cluster, you have, you have two others. One is a connection string that just queries the archive data. And so you've got one that queries your cluster, one that queries the archive data. And then we actually give you a third connection string, which we call the federated connection string. That connection string shows you the same collections, the same namespaces, the same database and collection pair that you have in your cluster. But instead, these collections actually comprise data coming from both your cluster and your archive. So when you query them, you're going to get data from both underlying sources. 
And just one thing to note about them is if you're using what, what you might call like a streaming query where there's no need to have data from both storage layers processed at the same time to respond. And, and what I mean by that is, let's say you, you execute a find one, you're just pulling a single document back. You're going to get performance that's similar to your most performant tier. So if you execute a find one on this federated source, you're going to get a really fast response because it's just going to be the data coming back from the cluster, most likely, since that will respond faster than the data coming from cloud object storage. But if, for instance, you were to execute a blocking query or something like a sort, where we need to get all of the data from both of the underlying storage layers, that's going to take as much time as it takes to do a collection scan over the slowest tier. And so that's just something to keep in mind when you start using these federated queries. You can get really good performance on certain queries, but other queries are going to be you know, highly hampered by the fact that part of the data is stored in a higher latency storage format. So with Atlas in general, we, we have encryption in numerous forms. So, I mean, encryption at rest, uh, field level encryption. What do we gain or lose when we start using Atlas Online Archive in the mix, if any? Great question. So there's a couple different kinds of encryption, right? So in our clusters, we, we have, you know, just our standard encryption. And then we also have the option for bring your own keys encryption. Um, and when you move to online archive, we do encrypt the data, but you can't use your own keys to encrypt the data. So that's the one thing that you lose out on when using online archive. Your data is encrypted, but you don't have the ability to manage those keys yourself. Now, there's one other topic that you mentioned, which is field level encryption, which is kind of different. Instead of encrypting, you know, all of the data together, right? You're encrypting single fields inside your documents. That is done on the driver side. And because that's the case, online archive and data lake work with field level encryption, just like you can use in your cluster today. And so if you field level encrypt your data while inserting it into your database, have that data get archived off of your cluster into online archive, and then query that data in your archive using the same credentials on your driver, you can still use that field level encryption and have that data when it's stored inside of the archive stay encrypted. It's a, it's a really powerful feature because one other gap that we have with online archive today is that you can't get delete incremental data out of your archive. But one thing that you can do there is what's called crypto shredding, which means you can, archive, you can archive that data that you field level encrypted, and you can destroy the key in order to get an effective delete of the data once it's already in the archive. And this is actually enough to satisfy the privacy re regulations that we see coming out of the EU and California, like GDPR uh, and the right to be forgotten. So one way to handle that, even if you want to use online archive, is to field level encrypt your data by whatever kind of meaningful um, field or value that you, you need to, and then delete the key for that data once you need to delete that data. Because the, the user doesn't have control of their keys in the, in the circumstance of online archive, is it, is it still going to be compliant in the, in the aspect of say HIPAA, FERPA and, and all of these other regulatory things, or is, does client side field level encryption accomplish that for them? Yeah, absolutely. So 
there's there's obviously a, a variety of components there. Atlas Data Lake and Online Archive are compliant with all of the, the regulations that the overall Atlas platform is. Where that changes slightly is those specific regulations, like right to be forgotten. But as I said, there's a way to do it, but it, it actually comes down to the solution that you engineer more so than the platform itself providing you know that you know compliance or regulation. So we talked about how uh, developers leveraging MongoDB Atlas can begin to configure a data lake, begin to create an online archive. Let's talk a little bit about the the configuration of the online archive. Now, you you produced a blog article, which is really well done. It's on MongoDB's main blog, and it talks about the online archive and, and how to begin leveraging it. One of the things that you recommend in this article is uh, choosing commonly queried fields. Um, why is frequency of the queried fields important in the configuration of your online archive? Yeah. So one of the things I was mentioning earlier is that the best way that we can get performance on data lake queries is by not reading certain data. When you tell us what the fields are that you'd like to query, we're actually able to lay that data out in a way such that those fields with the same value are stored together. And so you can think of it just as kind of chunking up all of the documents where name is Ben and all the documents where name is Mike. And so the reason that we associate that with commonly queried fields is if you, you know, execute a find, only want documents where name is Ben, we'll only open that chunk of, of files where we've named the file Ben. And therefore, all of the files where name is Mike never get touched. If you then come in and say, I want age 63, well, you're out of luck and we're going to have to scan all of that data because we don't know, you know, since the data was partitioned by name for Mike and Ben, well, there could be plenty of people named Mike and Ben who are all 63. And so we scan all of that data. All right. That's pretty fascinating. So it's almost as though we're creating a columnar store. Yeah. In, in some ways, that, that's what partitioning gives you. Yeah. Great. I, I feel like I have a really good understanding of, you know, what Data Lake is, what on, online archive is, how they differ, how we can get started, how simple it is to get started. Um, maybe talk, Ben, a little bit about what's in the roadmap, what's coming down the pike for, uh, for, for this space. Yeah. So there's a couple things. I, I kind of like to categorize them into two buckets. You know, some are what I would call kind of closing gaps and the others are what I would consider to be kind of really transformational features. And so data lake in the other cloud providers like gcp and azure and we don't have support for online archive when you need to use archive storage in the other cloud providers you can use online archive for clusters that are in any of the cloud providers but the archival storage will all go into mongodb's aws and so what we want to do in the next few months and in the coming year is add support for private link connections for customers who have kind of increased security concerns um, and you know requirements or regulations that mean they need to use private link. And then we'd also like to add support for the new cloud providers, right? Um, or the, the other cloud providers, uh, both Azure and GCP for both online archive storage and for uh, data lake as a whole. The 
other side of that is, is kind of what I mentioned as being kind of transformational features. And we have something really exciting that we're working on, which is a whole new way to use Atlas Data Lake. One of the kind of concerns or pains that we've heard from our customers is that it's, it's hard to get good performance on Data Lake without doing a lot of work. And while you can absolutely have a high performing Data Lake, it does require a lot of effort to organize that data yourself. And what we want to do is make it easier for customers to get a high performing data lake for query without all of that effort. And so we're coming out with a range of features uh, starting early next year that's going to actually kind of like automate the organization and corralling of data in such a way that they get really, you know, highly performant queries uh, across huge ranges of data sets um, without having to put in all that effort to kind of organize and manage the data themselves. Uh, it's, it's kind of thinking about how we went from self-managed to, to kind of fully managed clusters. It's a, it's a similar path where data lake right now, you kind of self-manage the data. And in the future, we're going to make sure you don't have to self-manage the data or the compute and you get ultra fast queries. If somebody listening to this podcast episode wants to give feedback because maybe they are already a user of Atlas Online Archive or Data Lake, is there a great place to leave that feedback? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's feedback.mongodb.com. And I would definitely encourage anyone to, to reach out there, request features. We actively monitor it and we update the statuses of those feature requests as they move into development. It's super important to us to take feedback from the community and make sure we're building what our customers need and what's going to delight them. And so we really appreciate when, you know, people request features on there and then talk with us about kind of why they're valuable on that platform. Um, and I, I definitely will, will promise to respond through there and update the feature as it moves into development. Hey, so another avenue for folks to talk about Data Lake and online archive is the community forums. I'm curious, Ben, do you, do you ever wade into the forums? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I try and set a few different alerts and reminders in the forums so that I get alerted when uh, new requests come through that are related to Data Lake and online archive. Um, I've had a, a few great chats on uh, the forums with uh, Data Lake and online archive customers. I will say it's, it's still early days for data lake and online archive. And so, you know, we don't have this kind of, uh, as much of a groundswell inside of the forums, if you will, but, uh, I definitely, uh, do check those and, and reach out to users, um, and have some good discussions there when, when it comes up. Great. So if you're listening and you want to kind of wade in, start a conversation, uh, you can visit community.mongodb.com and there's a category specifically, I believe, is there a category specifically for data lake? Yeah, data lake. And actually, I think there's a subcategory in Atlas for online archive. Well, this has been a great discussion. Um, ben, is there anything we didn't ask you? Anything you want to share with the listeners that we should let them know about? One thing that I would just kind of call out as being kind of new and exciting is the way you think about your data in MongoDB and how that relates to data lake and some of these new features I was talking about, which we're really looking to kind of radically transform how you can balance the kind of total cost of ownership of your cluster. And it means that we're going to be bringing more and more flexibility to your usage of cloud object storage and give you this approach where you really have kind of full capability to do all of the operations you need on the kind of cloud object storage at a higher latency 
and the ability to do kind of the things that you're used to on your MongoDB cluster where you require ultra low latency, but through a single kind of view or, or, or connection. And so it really changes the model about how you think about keeping data, how you think about making data accessible to your customers. And I'd really just encourage people to kind of look into these capabilities we're releasing and, and start to rethink about like where you need to make hard decisions about what to keep and what to cut and what to expose to your customer and, and whatnot, because what we're doing here is really kind of changing the model with which you need to kind of analyze uh, kind of the, the trade-offs. And it's going to take some rethinking as we make it so easy to take advantage of these that in the past you needed to build these custom bespoke systems to handle these types of workloads. And now it really just kind of comes for free by using, you know, MongoDB and Atlas State Lake. Really transforming MongoDB Atlas into a into a full-fledged platform, I think. That's what it sounds yeah, I like. Yeah, I think it's fair to say. Well, Ben, thanks so much for spending time with us. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to get started with MongoDB Atlas, you can visit cloud.mongodb.com. You can start for free. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you're listening on YouTube, hit the thumbs up. Would love to get some feedback. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating. Let us know what you think through the feedback system there. Be sure to check out mongodb.local. It's coming to London November 9th. You can be there in person at Evolution London. You can tune in remotely, or you can catch it on demand on your own schedule. To get more information on mongodb.local, visit mongodb.link slash London Local. I hope to see you there.